I'd like today to discuss a new way of living. Most people are aware that we have a subconscious, aren't they? We learned that more or less from Sigmund Freud, although it was in fact Immanuel Kant who first, to the best of my knowledge, talked about the subconscious. Nevertheless, now we're aware, most of us pretty well so, that uh, apart from this conscious mind of ours that uh, is aware of all the little things going on, that rationalizes, that thinks, there is a great sort of subcontinent of thoughts that have been suppressed, that have been hidden, that have been sort of shunted aside while we go on with the business of the moment, that is actually very, very large compared to the little bit of our consciousness that we use when we think reasonably, when we think uh, in our day-to-day -day lives. And this subconscious, more and more it's been discovered, has an enormous influence on how people are. To give you an example, some people will say, well, I uh, am completely free to do whatever I like. Well, how free are they really? You're influenced by your habits, you're influenced by your upbringing, you're influenced by uh, your conditioning. The, the man who says that I choose to take drugs and it's a free choice, for one thing, is taking something that will lead him into bondage, and therefore it's, how can you, it's a contradiction in terms to speak of it as a free choice. But secondly, what made him choose that, whereas another person would not choose? What made him choose a delusion? What made him make such a big mistake? Obviously, there's some part of his mind that isn't free to choose wisely if it's only a bondage to ignorance or, or a folly. So, we have, through all the various things that we've done, we have a very strong conditioning that influences our conscious minds. And many people think that this subconscious is also an, uh, a level of our awareness that is creative. They believe that creativity and inspiration come up from the subconscious. You will read articles telling you that if you want to get answers to a problem, Many times after thinking about it a great deal, what will help you best is if you just put it aside and let the subconscious take over and guide you toward the right answer. Now the truth of that is that the subconscious is really just sort of a huge salad, you might say. It's a big confusion, a seething mass of ideas, tendencies, uh, likes and dislikes, and so on. And to expect wisdom to come out of that is to basically ask the impossible. It is not from your subconscious that great inspirations come. More and more psychologists are becoming aware of something that spiritual people and great yogis of India for many thousands of years have talked about, and that is that there is a higher level of our consciousness, equally unknown to us on a conscious level. It's sort of as if we have the meeting point, a triangle uh, coming up from the bottom, from below the surface of the ocean, and meeting here at this little point of an iceberg, you might say. But then that there is another one of a subtler order which goes up into the clouds, and we don't see that either. It's an inverted triangle meeting down at this little 
pinpoint of our conscious minds, and this is the superconscious. Now, this is not something I'm inventing for your uh, consideration. It's something that the tradition of ages has talked about. It's something that in all religions you find people talking about. And it's something that people can tune into deliberately, thereby demonstrating a reality rather than sort of a hit-or-miss process that, that uh, some people may claim comes from the superconscious, some people may claim it comes from the subconscious, and other people may claim that it just comes by accident anyway. There is within us a capacity to tune in to higher levels of our own being and in the process to draw inspiration really at will. We need to learn to live more superconsciously, and there are some people who do. If you read the lives of even scientists who we consider to be totally rational, and therefore, this is the folly, as if being totally rational precluded. So we think totally rational, therefore, not, they don't believe in these uh, higher things like superconscious. It's a pretty ridiculous equation. But in fact, if you read the lives of great scientists, you'll find that they don't subscribe to it. The so-called scientists who talk about everything being reasonable are the scientists who um, manage to come up with little experiments in, in laboratories that perhaps tell you statistically how many rats will run toward one direction instead of another if you stimulate them in the right way. But if you look at the really great scientists like Einstein, Eddington, go on down the list from the beginning of science to the present day, you'll find justified the words of Einstein, who said that it's essential to the very essence of scientific discovery that there be a sense of mystical awe, a sense of wonder at the greatness of things, a sense of reaching out, if you will, toward the superconscious. And in fact, Many, there's a very interesting book called Talks with Great Composers by, I think his name is George A. Bell, in which he reported after talking to a number of really great composers like Brahms and uh, so on. And he reported their words in discussing uh, conversations they had had with other great uh, composers who had died previous to the actual gathering of this information for the book. And without exception, every one of the great, great composers felt that they had received their inspiration from above. They'd received it from a higher source. They didn't just go to sleep and there it was, passively. What you receive in passivity will not be, uh, it will not be that kind, it will not have that revelatory impact that will ring down the ages as a truth, as an inspiration is something that moves people's lives and changes uh, the directions of maybe whole cultures. That kind of wisdom, that kind of greatness of impact, all of that comes from a higher level of being. The great inspirations of scientists, artists, musicians, explorers, all kinds of people, they come from a higher level of their being, of, of man's being. And when you learn to tune in, to tap that higher source within you, perhaps sometimes you've done it already. 
and you've suddenly been amazed at the clarity that comes. You know, something that comes from the subconscious, you may think of as possibly a good idea, but you don't know it's a good idea. In that which comes from the superconscious, there's a certainty. There are some marvelous stories, like the uh, man who, singer who invented the Singer sewing machine. He was trying to create a needle that would move up and down, but he found that the string kept getting tangled up, and he didn't know what to do about it. One night, he had a dream, which amounted to a vision, in which he saw natives of some primitive country fighting with spears, and the odd thing about this vision was that those spears had each of them a hole in the tip of it. And he woke up and he said, that's the answer. I need to put the eye of my needle in the tip, not in the back where it normally is. As soon as he did that, he had his invention. You will find that the annals of discovery are filled with stories like that, where people not uh, it, they may have gotten it in sleep, they may have gotten it just in moments of rest. Usually that would come uh, in moments of rest or upliftedness of consciousness, whatever it might be. But they got them in periods when their minds were still, and then in that stillness came absolute certainty. Now you and I have all had, we've all had dreams, but those dreams didn't give us that level of certainty. And as the saying goes, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Sometimes we feel dogmatically certain about something, but it doesn't work. The proof of a superconscious experience, inspiration, guidance, the proof is that it does work. The higher level of consciousness is, has control over the lower, can guide the lower. The conscious mind can guide the subconscious, particularly the more conscious you are. And the superconscious guides the, sub the conscious. So it's not as if you, in your conscious mind, can manipulate the superconscious, but you can try to attune yourself with the way the superconscious works. Now, there are certain things that, knowing, we can do in order to put ourselves in tune with the way the superconscious works. One of the things is that the conscious mind sees things broken up. It sees things unrelated to one another. The conscious mind is analytical. And because of that analysis, because of separating things instead of uniting them, we can take it a step further and say that the conscious mind is problem-oriented. And you'll find that the more you live on this conscious level, and try to find your solutions in a conscious way only, the more you will be filled with the consciousness of problems. You'll just see things unrelated to each other and you won't quite know. Sometimes people will tell you, make a list of possibilities. Should I do it this way? All the reasons why you should. Should I not do it? All the reasons why you shouldn't. Eliminate them sort of through a process of trial and error. Come to that solution which is the most reasonable. Well, the trouble with the conscious mind is that it never gives you a sense of certainty. It gives you the thought, maybe, out of all the possibilities, that this makes more sense than other things might, but you're always left with that nagging doubt as to whether it really is the right answer or not. Those answers that you get from the superconscious are a different, of a different order, because, you see, the superconscious is unitive in its vision. 
It's that intuitive flow that comes from the soul. And in that intuitive flow, you find that you are solution-oriented. If you want to be uh, guided more by the superconscious and less by the conscious, then try to be solution-oriented. Look for solutions. Don't always concentrate on the problems. Uh, So-called realistic people will always say, but, but, but. But you'll notice that people who are successful don't think about the difficulties they face. They think in terms of, there's got to be an answer, and that answer's got to be this. If you read that book that I told you about on the, the uh, saints, uh, not the saints, the great musicians, the saints do this even more, but they, they all of them had that, uh, that consciousness, as Jesus said, pray believing, and they would want an, a melody, let's say, or the inspiration for a symphony, and instead of saying, oh, I hope it'll come, oh, please give it to me, it's difficult. Uh, well, I've got problems today, and these are why these are the reasons why I couldn't possibly get my inspiration today. They cut through all that garbage. They just said, "I want an inspiration. I want it now." They may have prayed to God. They may have just looked up into the inner light or into the inner silence. But they'd say with absolute conviction, "I know that because there's a problem, there's got to be a solution, and that solution is." And if you have enough willpower, if you have enough faith you will find that that faith can move mountains. If you really believe, believe is not passive. If you put all your faith into it and just say, and be solution-minded, I know there's an answer. Give me this answer, God. Show me what you want. You will be surprised to see how very often these solutions will come to you. So what you need to do is lift your consciousness up. In fact, again, if you will concentrate here, if you'll meditate deeply and concentrate at the point between the eyebrows, which is the seat of ecstasy and the seat of concentration in the body. That's why when you think deeply, you tend to knit your eyebrows. That's why when you feel happy, you tend to look up. These are physiological facts. And that's one of the wonderful things about yoga. The science of yoga takes you through those facts to the discovery of ways in which you can change your level of consciousness, get all this static of restless thinking and so on out of the way, so that when you pray, for example, you can pray effectively, so that when you listen, you can listen in that kind of silence that makes it possible for you to hear a divine reply. So to live superconsciously is essentially to live in an uplifted consciousness, to live in calmness, to live in solution consciousness and not just constantly uh, go through a welter of worry and preoccupation and uh, thinking. Lift your mind beyond thinking into the inner stillness. This is the third aspect of mind. The lowest is the subconscious. That's what we've come up from through the animal state, you might say. Life evolved to the human state, where we function more, but far less than we imagine, on a rational, conscious level. But if we can reach up to the clouds, if we can reach up into superconsciousness, then we find that this higher self can come down, this higher intuition can come down and guide us in the most mundane things of life. So, let us uh, think about living more in the consciousness of God. There's a lovely saying also in this, this uh, book, The Essence of Self-Realization, that I'd like to 
share with you. Yogananda said, the degree of faith and the flow of divine grace in your life is determined by your depth of self-realization. What you attempt to accomplish by grace should be tempered by what you have received of God's power in your life. Great miracles of faith, such as raising the dead to life, are possible only for those who have realized God as the sole reality. For such miracles, mental affirmation, even if made very forcefully, is not enough. There was a man who had read in the Bible that faith can move mountains. The scriptural precept impressed him, particularly since outside his bedroom window there stood a hill that obstructed his view of a beautiful lake. One evening he decided to put the scripture to the test. Filled with unseasoned faith, as he thought it, he prayed long and earnestly to the Father to remove that hill and cast it into the sea. As he went to bed, he looked forward anxiously to seeing the results of his prayer. Anxiety is a part of the conscious process, not the superconscious. So Yogananda said he looked forward anxiously to seeing the results of his prayer. Awaking the next morning, he rushed to the window and looked out. The hill hadn't budged an inch. I knew you'd still be there, he exclaimed. Such is faith, Yogananda finished when it is mere affirmation. We need to include in our lives that kind of upliftedness that comes from loving God, living in God, singing God's name. There's a lovely, can the Canticle of the Creatures of St. Francis of Assisi, and uh, you've heard of it probably, but it's something that he wrote almost on his deathbed, literally, in fact, on his deathbed, but it was a song that sort of brought him back from that for a while. I'd like to sing to you a melody that came to me as I was reading those words in their early Latin of the medieval times. I'd like to sing to you the first stanza of that, of that canticle. Altissimo, omnipotente, bon signore, tue son le laude, la gloria et l'onore. Et ogni benedizione, et ogni benedizione, a te solo, se con fanno, et nullo homo, et degno de nominate. I'd like to sing also another song from the life of St. Francis. So live like him, live like the great saints, live like wise men, live like great creative geniuses. All of these lived their lives much more in superconsciousness, guided by superconsciousness, inspired by it. What they can do, we can do also.